Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, Spandana Gopal and Aphrodite Krasa. Spandana is the founder and creative director of Tipoy, a London-based brand with a vision to bring a new relationship with India through modern design. Her reason for setting up Tipoy is to give the world a new way to experience India, through design that is inspired by simplistic and utilitarian forms of daily life in the Indian household. And if you've been to White City Place recently, you'll notice their first piece of public art, Kolam Light, a light installation inspired by the South Indian ritual of drawing beautiful column patterns on one's doorstep every morning. Aphrodite is the creative director of her eponymous design studio and the designer behind some of London's most notable hospitality projects in the past decade. From the popular sushi chain Itsu to the dining phenomenon Dishoom, and most recently, Heston Blumenthal's Perfectionist's Cafe at Heathrow Airport. Aphrodite has been described as a monumental talent by hospitality interiors, a rising star in hospitality design by Metropolis magazine, and most prominent designer of her generation by Cool Hunting. In 2010, she was awarded Designer of the Year by Elle Deco. On the agenda, the common thread between Indian and Greek cultures and why design audiences and customers must be taught to be critical. I think what, you know, really interests me in your work is that you are trying to challenge stereotypes and that always people who are trying to break the mold or challenge cliches and stereotypes always attract me and interest me. And the way you described Tipoi, I thought was a very new take on what our perception of Indian is, Indian design and Indian manufacturing. And I guess a lot of it I could relate to because that's what we try to do with Dishoom. And I think at the time, things have changed quite a lot. But if I think when we started the Dishoom journey, which was back mm. in 2008, people had a very specific perception of what Indian culture is. And in the last 10 years, I think that's changed quite a bit with people like you food operators, chefs, mm. makers. There's been yeah. obviously a humongous revolution in India which has transcended across the rest of the world. And I think it's only been 10 years, but I remember when when we started with Dishoom, people would think, why on earth are you doing an Indian restaurant? My friends thought I was a bit crazy because they had this stereotype in their heads. They would be all flocked to wallpaper and you know, for like pink seats. I know pink is now in fashion, but back in 2008, there was no millennial pink, I guess. <laughs> and that was a stereotype. Nobody could see anything else. So that's why I responded. I thought, you know, your take on India is very refreshing. And I guess I could relate to it. And I thought it would be great to meet and discuss ways of working together, really. Yeah, because I think for me, it was, I was just looking at all the different I don't know if channels is the right word, but just looking at the different spaces or channels in where where mm. India was represented, right? Mm. So it could be a restaurant, it could be a product, or it mm. could be, mm. I don't know, a service-related company. But it was it was just that the, the narrative was the same across all these different mm. areas. So yes. whether it was a restaurant, mm. it was like a typical Indian restaurant. Mm. And then this, you know, the typical Indian restaurant was coined in everyone's head mm. so strongly. Or like mm. a typical Indian product would be something that would be 
fabricated very cheaply and available yeah. Yeah. at this price or you'd have to go all the way to kind of south hall or wembley to find mm-hmm. something that was you know yeah which is very distinctly indian there was no kind of version of it that was kind of saying something else mm-hmm. everything was reinforcing the stereotype mm-hmm. and i felt frustrated because people were becoming very comfortable in that you know mm. no one wanted to challenge you know what this idea of india was and i feel like is that is that i've never asked you is that what led you to create the point yeah what? it was kind of a frustration for me because it was just like it was almost like it was stuck in time with this kind of colonial hangover almost right yes. and then i feel like there is you know and some kind of fascination or intoxication with feeling overly nostalgic mm about you know romanticizing india yes. you know so you almost can't avoid yeah and people love it people like you know indian tourism screams it indian yeah. food can you know do that for you mm. indian products which are sold here so whether that's clothing or like smaller objects mm. they're all you know catering towards satisfying some you know traveler fantasy mm. you know it's mm. just like i want to go on my gap year I'm going to go to India and you know go to the mountains and become a hippie and just smoke some or something yeah yeah so which is great but it's it's just like I just got fed up of that story yeah and I was just I just wanted to say talk about something which was a bit more real because I think real life in India is very interesting it's fascinating because of the number of people who just get their job done on a daily basis without really having much to take them through the day you know but i think what's also interesting is that you're probably not going to celebrate this type of life as much within india as you would when you're outside of india at least that was my experience That's with really with true. with the shoom you know when we went over on this trip with um, the guys from the shoom I would pick up on all these things which to them were quite awful but to me were quite amazing and I guess because you're so close to it and it's so intense you kind of don't appreciate it and then when you take it out of that context there's some amazing creativity happening on street level that you almost don't notice at all or you don't appreciate at all and I think what's interesting and and perhaps maybe not relevant how we met but what's an interesting story the the Dishun guys one of them was related to Tilda Rice and he told me this story which I thought was really clever that they had to come out of India to invent that brand of Tilda and then to export it back to India again Absolutely. which is like a crazy cycle because you know rice would be sold loosely in bags you know we would just like get it you know out of a big sack of rice that's how people would go about buying rice and then there came tilda taking indian rice in europe packaging it up in beautiful packaging branding it and selling it to the middle classes within europe and suddenly there was this growth of middle classes in india and they were looking for this prepacked solution so tilda started exporting their own rice back to india effectively to uh, cater for this need and it's again the same idea that you know you don't appreciate the beauty of the sack of rice and i'm sure in 10 years time 
with the growth of what's happening in Europe currently, you know, uh, less packaging, looser items, going back to the manufacturer, less branded goods, that India would almost revisit that time and probably would be a foreigner, well, not a foreigner, but a person from the rest of the world that brings it back to India and sells it again. Yeah. Hopefully not. Hopefully it would be somebody who's based there, who kind of... Uh, appreciates the beauty of what's happening and, and it's not external anymore, but it's internal. Yeah, so it's almost like this cycle that you can't avoid, right? That you yeah. need to get a kind of approval stamp from mm. the West. Mm. I feel like a lot of India is seeking that kind of approval for branded goods or, you know, products or services or whatever. Yeah. So I think people with money, for example, will spend money on... Italian kitchens yes. and Italian marble yeah. and Italian furniture. Yeah. And they wouldn't look to... Celebrate what's local. Because they, it's almost like someone needs to... Maybe an Italian designer needs to go to India mm-hmm. and design a range of... And tell them how amazing it is mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. them to then buy it. Mm-hmm. So it probably if it's sitting in a London or showroom in Milan they'll probably buy it. But if it's just in India, they're not going to buy it. Yeah, it's some kind of a mind game, right? And I think I'm definitely experimenting within that space myself because I guess I'm not interested in selling to people in India who, I guess, have the money or I'm less interested to sell to them, let's say. Right. Uh, I think I'm more interested to sell to the aspiring population, mm. like the growing middle classes, mm. like the average Indian mom who goes to the market and mm. haggles her way through to buy something. You know, if she can buy something that I make and put her stamp on it, her mm. stamp of approval, that it will stand the test of time, that it's a perfect mm. combination of design, value, and material. So that's like some kind of weird aspiration in my own head you know that's a fantasy in itself because I mean being like a London-based brand I can't then talk to that audience in India Mm. or maybe I can but I have to do it very differently. How would people respond to your products here in the UK would they say they're not Indian enough? So I think because if you look at them I don't think they shout India in a very kind of obvious literal way yeah yeah. so have people responded positively to that or negatively you reckon well I think people have I mean it's I would definitely say that it's positive I didn't know when I was starting because I literally feel so lonely in the space sometimes because there's no (laughs) one else here so it's like I'm kind of the you know the only one in the class with the problem or the solution I don't know um But I feel that, you know, it's an element of surprise. So sometimes people will buy something because they're looking for a copper bowl and we're probably... um, You do a really nice copper bowl and they say that's a nice copper bowl. That's a nice copper. Yeah. And then they end up buying it. And then it's kind of like, you know, the second layer of a brand story where they say, oh, okay, this is, it's an, you know, Indian inspired brand. Mm. And then that kind of leads them to maybe ask a question about, Mm. okay, you know, what is design in India? Like, Mm. what's happening? I've never heard of this. Mm. Someone else may buy something because they've maybe read about us in a book or seen us in an exhibition. Mm. And then, you know, they're kind of maybe more in tune with 
or they're kind of more curious about like you know what's happening in that design space anyway with regards to india and indian culture so i think people come to us in different ways but you know we haven't yeah i don't think we we're saying that we're indian via our products we just want to make good design mm. and i feel like that's all you need to do you don't really yeah. need to say that i'm making indian design mm. because if the design's good then it's going to speak of where where it, it comes from where yeah. it comes from and then people are going to be like okay that's really interesting i had no idea you know mm. that you know india thought like this or like the indian household had these kind of objects or everything looks so functional and minimal this is not what i expected which brings us back to the stereo this idea yeah you know it's just you know dealing with the stereotypical idea mm. and it's something that we have to just do over and over again we had a similar problem ourselves with uh, when we launched the first issue i remember one of the project managers said i don't get it this looks like a cafe like a, it doesn't look anything indian i said that's exactly the idea yeah. <laughs> yeah. i thought that was a good comment yeah. in in the fact that he actually thought it was really negative that it didn't look stereotypically indian i said that's exactly the whole point i'm glad you're saying this but he was he was quite concerned that it would end up looking like any other cafe on a high street and i said no i don't think but so but that's the thing you need to, it's like you need to get your audience to ask questions because you need to reeducate yeah. people yeah and you absolutely. need to kind There's of challenge them there's a process of reeducation yeah of course because if you assume that your audience is is just going to be passive and not like just accept all the you know okay this looks great that looks lovely oh this is supposed to look this way that's supposed to, you know mm. you're just kind of feeding them the side you just it's the you're same cycle you're not progressing cycle. anything you're no. not moving along so i feel like you know i mean i just i know that tipoy is quite uh, unique in what it's trying to say and it's extremely challenging vision and very difficult on you know most days <laughs> to think about what i'm doing but i definitely think that it needs to be done so mm. and then you've got non indian designers designing with you <laughs> yeah non indian designers who which i hardly think about but then i guess it becomes more of in you know it's it's highlighted when we all go to india together and like they just get stopped on the street and you know ask to take selfies um it's just quite strange, the bags actually. get cha- checked more often <laughs> <laughs> or like yeah just like lots of kids running up to them and being like excited or just you know you know how it is in india you're listening to thought starters with designers aphrodite krasa and spandana gopal I mean in terms of like design like the designers working in India I feel that it's so much more enriching and rewarding and it just gives you so much knowledge which frankly speaking I don't think you would get here being an industrial designer because looking at the landscape of manufacturing in England today and access to manufacturing I feel in India you can have an idea to make something and you can bring together different processes you can bring mm. together 
a handmade process or craft-led process, and you can pair that together with something that's industrially manufactured. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can have a conversation with the manufacturer in quite a simple way, but you definitely need to be there and you definitely need to create a relationship to start with. But once that's there, the possibilities are just quite amazing. And I think for young designers today to be able to see what they're making and being able to learn as they're making is, I think, something India can offer. Mm. Maybe one of the only countries we can offer that today. And I hope it, you know, I hope we don't kind of ruin that for ourselves. Mm. So, but what was it like for you in, in Greece, for example, like growing up in terms of like there being, was there anything that defined design for you at an early stage of your life? Or I mean, it's very hard to talk about Greek design, especially when it comes to the context of product design, which is what you do, because we don't have a manufacture. It's never been an industrialized country, mm. so we never manufactured anything. So there was never, a, let's say, a vernacular that defined Greek product design. And as such, there's no product design scene or industry, really. And most people who want to create design have to leave the country. And the only area, I guess, which was and I'm talking about modern Greece rather than referring to ancient Greece or, you know, to our history, which is what we always end up doing, which is unfortunate. You know, and I'm really talking about the recent history. The, the only thing that I remember vividly being in growth in Greece was hospitality design in a funny way, which I wasn't aware of because as a teenager, it wasn't an area I was aware of. And I guess because of the tourist industry, which is so big. It's about 70% of our GDP. And because of our love of going out and not staying home and just partying and drinking and eating and clubbing, it would be quite amazing how much investment went into the creation of hospitality spaces when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. So you would go to these clubs, I would go to these clubs with my brother and you have this, you know, Philip Stark toilets in, in the club, you know, like really high end and beautiful sinks and beautiful tables. And, and then I moved to London. I thought, how weird, you know, everything looked quite shabby in comparison. <laughs> you know, it wasn't as developed. But I think what was also great about Greek culture, which I can relate to in terms of Indian cultures, whether it's it's a very resourceful type of culture. You know, so you've got this extravagant mm-hmm. world, yeah. which is escapism. So you've got this world of restaurants and bars and clubs, which are really an escape from reality for Greek people, you know, in what is a quite difficult economic, social setup. But then at the same time, the reality of, you know, how people deal with creativity on a daily basis is very resourceful. And that I is something that uh, no matter how long I've lived in London, which is all my adult life and the majority of my life, I still feel very close to in every project that we do. I always think it shouldn't be wasteful. I'm not talking about environmentalism in a very um, kind of, um, how can I say, structured way, but I, I generally love the idea of being resourceful and not having to do too much, but doing as little as with what you've got. And I think that applies to everything we do within Greece, because always being, well, modern Greece has always been a poor country, you know, we never had a scenario where we've gone massively out of poverty. So you go to Greek islands, for example, and they build these beautiful houses out of nothing, because whatever they can find on the island, which is stones and, you know, there's not much. That's it. So they build things out of that. And thankfully, 
the whole idea of global architecture hasn't affected parts of Greece. So it has affected the big urban centers like Athens and Thessaloniki where I grew up. But it hasn't affected the smaller, you know, kind of uh, villages and towns. And they still got this very uh, local vernacular, which is very resourceful. And they build stuff according to what's local, to what's the, the crafts that they, you know, that they know. So a, a good example is there's been a resurgence recently of um, stone making, just because we had an influx of um, a lot of uh, people from Albania, a neighboring country, who are great stone makers and carvers and masons. And in the 80s, there was this massive influx of Albanian population into Greece, and that craft was almost revived. So now you see a lot more stone-built houses. So I think there is a beauty in that resourcefulness. You know, the fact that you don't have much and you have to do with what you've got. And when I went to India, that really, um, I could relate to it in that way. And I thought, wow, I never thought that there would be an overlap between Greece as a culture <laughs> and India. I never, I never really imagined that. But I could see this great overlap between the two cultures. And resourceful, resourcefulness was a key yeah. element. Yeah. I kept saying to the Dishum guys, we need to be resourceful. We can't go over the top because India is such a resourceful place and, and it's that simplicity that makes it beautiful. And, you know, the other thing I, I vividly remember is I went to um, one of the Bombay cafes and uh, there was this marble top, like a table that's been there for maybe 40 odd years. And, you know, where they would put the um, jug of water right in the middle, the minute you arrive, you get this jug of water. I'm sure you're very familiar the, the marble has literally created a curve over the years of use. And that really reminded all my grandmother's marble counter. She had this, you know, kitchen from the 60s and where she would cut, it it had dipped, the marble had chipped off over the years. And I think, again, is this like idea of not having everything brand new and, and mm-hmm. using things for t- to death, you know, not like fixing them, but just leaving them. As, as My grandma would have this attitude and it wasn't a financial thing it was more the way she was raised uh, if it works why would I change it you know and she would never f- take anything out of the house and change it she would just keep it you know until it fell apart effectively and I think again western culture has completely lost that approach it's just excess right I feel like you know there's there's some kind of you know there's always like there's a room to waste mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but I feel like like you were saying in India or in Greece, you don't have the capacity to waste something. So you have to consider the life of this, you know, immortal object. Mm. Because if it breaks, you take it to someone who will be able to fix it. Uh, And it doesn't matter what it is. You kind of just keep going back to him. He'll fix it. You take it back and then you give it to someone else to use, I yes. pass it down in the family. Yes. And I feel that that's something which I feel is going to is going to happen. I don't feel like, you know, life in the West as easy and comfortable as it is uh, to most of us today in comparison with the way, say, mm-hmm. people live in, in India, for instance. I feel that, you know, where now starting to pay for, you know, plastic bags from Tesco. Mm. And, you know, God forbid, maybe we won't be able to lose toilet paper soon. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, but if you grew up in India, you can work around that situation. (laughs) So I just feel that there are things that, you know, the West will have to look to uh, in these kind of, you know, developing situations. And, you know, 
thinking about like how we can repurpose, how we can reuse, but not in a way that becomes like a concept. You know, I feel like so my issue with upcycling or recycling right now is that it kind of becomes it's so trendy that it's become a way of life, right? Mm. It almost ticks a box mm. Mm. in like... It's a lifestyle. Li- being, you know, having a certain lifestyle or e- being vegan or something. Um, yes. And it's I not integrated, mean, yeah. It's not integrated, but I feel that there is no glamour in these kind of places attached to repurposing something or no. reusing something because it's just what you do. It's a more authentic way of looking at things. It's a more honest way. It's, it's and design is connected to life. It's not separated from life. You see, I think what makes it more authentic, I agree with you, is that it's not a choice that you make, is a functional need that you have to fulfill. And, you know, you need to, I don't know, drink chai and the only thing you've got is earthenware and that's how you make this cup and then you throw it away and it goes back to earth. So it's it's just a very natural thing. It's not imposed. While I guess the choices we're making in the Western world are almost imposed. You feel guilty and then you decide to eat less, uh, to eat more plants and then you feel bad. It's not a natural progression. It's almost like you're making these choices out of guilt or, or whatever other reason. Well, I'm not saying that's the only reason. You know, obviously we all want to change the way we do things. But generally, it doesn't feel as a natural kind of progression. It feels like almost reach this point where you're making these choices. And, and I think it's not as an honest s- solution in many ways. Yeah. And then it becomes like a thing, right? So it becomes like a concept restaurant or it yeah. becomes a concept yoga class or it becomes a concept, you know, clothing brand. So what are you up to now? So we've been collaborating with White City Place to do our first site-specific commission, which is called Kolam Light. So Kolam Light is going to sit at the gateway of White City Place. And for this, we've looked at a South Indian morning ritual of making drawings outside your doorstep. And these drawings are called Kolams, and they're generally made by the women of the household. And they're kind of like a, you know, transitional or ephemeral welcome mat. And the idea is that when you make this drawing, you're kind of speaking to Mother Earth or the goddess who is the earth, but you're also feeding a thousand souls because you're also feeding like little ants and little birds and insects Mm. with this rice flower drawing. And yeah, so we just wanted to kind of talk about or kind of bring that into how we welcome people into white city place so using something that's quite I think quite emotional and quite it's just a a warm welcome to kind of welcome people into this new development and we just wanted to talk about it in a way that is quite unique to you know us being a, a studio inspired by India Great. Well, we're working on an Indian project as well. So <laughs> <laughs> revisiting, revisiting all my research from all the past years. So I always feel, and I told you that many times, that if I wasn't Greek, I probably would have been Indian. <laughs> I don't think there's many studios who designed as many Indian restaurants as us. And I'm not even Indian, as we all know. And we're currently um, researching heavily on 
a part of India that you'll probably be very familiar with, but I can't tell anymore for a new restaurant that will be launching next year. But what's interesting this time around is actually an Indian restaurant brand coming over to the UK rather than a local UK-based company, which I think is very telling of how um, things have changed in the last decade in India. So you've got these very successful entrepreneurs in India doing really amazing stuff. And now they want to be challenged by moving out of India and taking their brands into Europe or into the US or into other parts of the world, which to me is the first time we're doing. So I think it's going to be a really interesting project opening next year in central London. So quite good to visit all the research I've collected over the last 10 years. Wow, wow. <laughs> and find a new angle, I guess. That's the hard bit. Yeah, so your love for India continues. Forever and ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is mine. I know you can't, I can't live without these stories, I think. And I can't live without um, just, yeah, trying to tell the story. I mm-hmm. think for me, that's something that I hope I can continue to do over the years through Tipoy. I'm sure you will. <laughs> it's been lovely to speak to you. And you, Afro, thank you for making the time. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. That was Aphrodite Krasa of Aphrodite Krasa Design Studio and Spandana Gopal of Tipoy. This has been Thought Starters recorded at the pod at White City Place. Thought Starters is a Dianico project for White City, produced by David Michon, recorded by Sean Crook, and edited by Claire Crofton. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, Find us at whitecityplace.com or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at whitecityplace or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com and subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes. Give us a rating or write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time. <laughs>